You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series, movie, or audio and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. I'm Simon. And tonight we are looking at the penultimate episode of Crime Traveler. This is episode seven, The Lottery Experiment, which it just amazes me that it took seven episodes before somebody got to the idea of trying to win the lottery um, properly. But here we go. Episode synopsis. Jeff Slade still in the doghouse with Holly Turner, has brought flowers to apologize. Danny, the building super, stops him before he makes a minor faux pas. He knows that Turner doesn't like that particular type of flower and suggests an alternative. He just happens to have some red roses that were delivered for a tenant currently out of the country. Rather than let them go to waste, he gives them to Slade for Turner. Danny is the magic man because very soon Slade is more or less back in Turner's good graces. Oh, he's still banned from using the time machine, of course, but at least he's regained lap access, and like the tale of the camel and the tent, he's got a plan to get his nose in further. Slade wants to solve Turner's money problems by using the time machine to return in time and give Turner tonight's lottery numbers. Turner says, you didn't give me the lottery numbers today, so this already hasn't worked. Against her better judgment, she lets Slade try sending him and the lottery numbers back in time. Slade's working hypothesis is that he cannot buy the lottery tickets, nor can he return to the present with the ticket. Instead, he must give the information to someone currently existing in the past timeline, and they can buy the ticket. As Slade has spent the entire day in a police training session, he was not in the office, did not interact with anyone, and has a free hand to move about without fear of encountering himself. First stop, Turner's office. But she's not there. He starts to leave a note on her whiteboard, but Grissom comes in, sees Slade, and, since he's in the office, puts him on an important case, not even giving him time to finish the note. It's a big case. A notorious yet unprosecuted criminal mastermind has set his sights on a three million pound gold shipment. And Grissom wants to use it as bait to arrest him. Slade, Morris, and Nicky are put on surveillance duty across the street from the gold repository. Nikki has got just the thing Slade needs, one of those fancy new mobile phones. So he borrows it to call Turner, but the battery is dead. Slade leaves the stakeout to use a nearby phone box, but a woman gets there first before he can make the call. When he gets fed up and confiscates the phone for police business, the alarm at the gold repository goes off before he can connect with Turner who has arrived at the office and already absentmindedly erased the partial note Slade left her. Slade just can't catch a break. It's like something is working against him. The criminal gang has come in from below ground and has made off with the 750 pounds, by weight, of gold on foot. Slade chases them through the underground tunnels, but loses them when they reach the street. He spots a woman carrying a similar bag to the one used by the gang. So, on a long shot... He takes her license plate number down. But let's face it, it's a ridiculously long shot. Back at the repository, the manager is unhappy with the police and especially angered that Grissom used the gold as a bait. Heads will roll, specifically Grissom's. And she's none too happy with Slade either. He left his post during the stakeout, unmitigated by the fact that they could not have seen or prevented the crime from their stakeout point, nor that Slade was actually closer to the crime and was able to give pursuit because of it. Slade tries calling Turner from the repository, but the explosions have severed the phone lines. So Slade writes a note and sends it with a courier to hand deliver to Turner. Turner is out. However, the note is left taped to her door. Nikki has replaced his mobile phone battery, so Slade tries calling Turner again, but this time on her car phone. Unfortunately, she passes into a tunnel and loses reception, just as they are about to connect. Slade and Nikki visit the young woman he saw carrying a bag. It's just a bag, and it hasn't got gold in it, but Slade takes it as evidence anyway. He also uses their fax machine to send Turner a note, but Turner's fax machine is out of paper. 
Turner is giving a lecture, so Slade tries to go there to give her the lottery numbers. But while he's trying to locate her in the building, the fire alarm is triggered and everyone evacuates the building. Thwarted again. Slade tries heading to Turner's office. She's still not there, but he finds the note taped to the door, and he moves it to the desk. Minutes later, as Turner returns, an evidence tray is placed atop the letter, blocking it from her view. It's just a few hours now until Grissom will be forced to resign over this bungled operation, and Slade and the boys are staking out the suspected criminal mastermind, hoping he'll lead them to the gold. Their subject gives them the slip, but with a flash of serendipitous inspiration, Slade figures out where the gold is. They rush back to the repository where the gold has been disguised as the masonry bricks that were taken down when the thieves broke in. They capture the thieves in the act of removing the bricks under the guise of builders, cleaning up the mess. Slade has very little time left and needs to get Grissom off the hook. He tries one last time to call Holly, but she is in the shower. So in a final act of desperation, he gives Nikki the lottery numbers and asks him to buy a ticket. Grissom's career is saved! Slade makes it back to the time machine without drama, and upon returning to the police station, Slade and Turner are informed that Slade's ticket is a winner! But he's only won 186 pounds, because the unique combination of numbers and Slade's sloppy handwriting has caused Nikki to read the numbers upside down, resulting in only a four-number match instead of a six-number jackpot. The winnings will almost pay for the part that broke when they used the machine this time. The end. So, what do you think of the lottery experiment? Well, it's, uh, I, I mean, I like a heist, so that was enjoyable. Um, it's interesting that, again, they've they've kind of gone with doing a story that doesn't actually use the time travel element in solving the crime. So there's, there's, there's nothing inherently um, only solvable by going back in time in this crime. And in fact, it's just kind of incidental that Jeff is in effect solving this crime in real time. It just so happens that he's doing so after having travelled back in time for another reason. Um, so again, it's kind of breaking the formula, a bit like last week where it was more like solving the crime in parallel to sort um, mm-hmm. real time in parallel to solving it, uh, to, to going back in time and solving it. In this instance, it's going back in time and then solving a crime in series, as it were. Um, but I, I have I've, there's one kind of theme that runs through all my notes quite repeatedly uh, this week. I don't know if you can guess what it is. Uh, time travel? No, <laughs> uh, no, not off the top of my. Is it just the the fact that he keeps getting thwarted? Is that the no, no. I, it's actually something that's come up in this discuss in in our discussions of this show before. It's just kind of dominating my notes a bit, and it's the fact that Jeff really is an asshole. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, he he is. There there it, is it yeah. Starts off with you know Jeff is still kind of weaseling his way in, and I just do not understand why Holly is tolerating him at all because it's not it's not the is, the issue isn't about whether he uses the machine or not the issue is that he has completely right. violated her trust and yep but he she, brought roses and called her pumpkin <laughs> yeah yeah but then she should realize that he's after his own interests in all of that i mean she doesn't seem surprised to be fair but you know i've got a, a note from when he sort of says you go fifty-fifty on it. I've just written. Yeah, Jeff is still an ass. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I say. I. I mean, he is just. He is kind of like a premium grade asshole. And I know that probably the point of casting Michael French was that he's kind of known for playing these characters that you love to hate. They're charming but awful. But the the fact that he's kind of a copper bottom shit in this one does not get enough calling out. I mean, there's there's some of it where you can kind of go, well, okay, if Holly knows what he's like, but she's just kind of got a crush on him and therefore she's just going to accept 
that's who he is and yeah. just spend time with him. And if it costs her the odd 200 quid to replace a bit of her machine, then so be it. But it doesn't quite feel like that. It does feel more exploitative. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I just want to say that it, before I forget one thought that's not here in my notes, is it's a pretty far stretch to call this an experiment. And we'll talk about that later. But uh, back to Jeff being an asshole. Not only is he, do you think he'd even split the money 50-50 with her? I, I, how do I would no, hope No, I think would. that's his kind of, that's his, his opening negotiation. Well, no, because, you know, he's he's sort of, without even talking to Holly, who would have every right to still believe that she was going to be the sole recipient of it because he said he was doing it all for her. He starts talking about retiring from the force. So, yeah. you know, I, there could I, be worse can... things than being a millionaire with Holly and being retired from the force. But yeah, I, I yeah, I don't know. I'm not saying he wouldn't give her the 200 quid for the thing he broke, but oh, well, of course. Well, yeah. there you go. I am deeply disturbed. Maybe the British behave differently than than Americans do, but. I'm still deeply disturbed, disturbed that after the scene where she catches the note in the flowers and calling her pumpkin, to to my mind, and this just falls into Jeff's an asshole category, to my mind, Jeff has done nothing wrong up to this point. He knows he screwed up. He he brought flowers. That is a that is a gesture that people do. I am not not just jerks, but people who've made mistakes. They try to bring something to brighten their day. He's not made a mistake there. He's bumped into Danny. Hang, hang Danny on, he's, has... saying he's, done, he's done nothing wrong. No, he's done I mean, something he's wrong done that nothing... he's apologizing for. He's he, done, nothing, no, I'm not done nothing additional wrong since the previous episode. Yeah, let, let me let me carry carry through. So he he's bringing first. It's nothing wrong with that. He bumps into Danny. Danny says, oh, by the way, she didn't particularly like those type flowers. But here, I've got these other flowers. Again, He's not doing anything wrong. He didn't. He didn't try to scam these flowers. It wasn't his idea. Nothing. He. He was all right. Roses are better. There is a little bit of a romantic aspect to to, to red roses, but eh, there, it doesn't have to be. So he takes those roses in and he gives them to her. He again, not wrong. But when she catches the note, not telling her, is where he goes wrong again. It's like I. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's like, hey, I, I bought you some other flowers, but Danny said you didn't like them, so I got these. Uh, it's, it's a justifiable, it's a justifiable swap. He should have checked for a note. That was stupid. But Jeff's not the brightest, uh, except when he's solving crimes. Well, hey, I, 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 I think this is minor stuff compared to the other stuff, but I don't really see the distinction between whether. Whether Holly finds the note or not being the determining factor in whether Jeff has done anything wrong by taking credit for knowing what she likes when he, you know, he's he, essentially he's taking credit for being sufficiently thoughtful to find out what she likes and to kind of a attend to her personal um, preferences and tastes. And he has done nothing to find out about that. I don't think that's, that's, I don't think that it is in, frankly, in a way, I think Danny is just, should be wrong. If, if you give someone flowers and they don't like the flowers, you shut up and take the flowers. I mean, can you appreciate it? So th there is, but really so, what I was getting at, the, the part that bothers me about that it's, is, because how's he going to know where, how are you going to go take the time to find out what kind of flowers Holly likes apart from asking Holly? That that is that's a tough well, ask. Former boyfriends? Does he know any former boyfriends? People at the office? No. This is not a. It's that's not look her up on the internet. Well, it just it's not going to find that information. He's not going to find out she doesn't like that carnations or whatever. If you think that he should talk to her when, you know there there is there is something wrong about the way he came about the flowers. Becoming apparent because she's found the note. the note. I don't see what's wrong with talking to her about what she likes or what might be a nice gift for her. And I think fundamentally the point about 
that whole sequence of getting the wrong flowers is to show that the and you know to be fair jeff's jeff assholeness is written into the script all the way through he he is giving her a thoughtless gift he hasn't done he hasn't thought about what holly might like in any shape sense or form what he is doing is he is going through the motions of doing what he thinks people do in order to indicate their sorry i'm i'm making him sound like a psychopath but you know there there is yeah. a deep lack of empathy that is in what him. people do though <laughs> that is what it people is, do it is what pe- it is what people do but he is just going through the motions because he wants to appear sorry because he wants to use her machine but but whether or not he is actually sorry or not, that I cannot say. I I think maybe to some degree he is, but I, He's I don't sorry know. sorry for himself. <laughs> but my point, what I was getting at is the note is far more above and beyond the flowers. That That is a very affectionate note, and that is a very, well, romantic isn't the right word, but when you get around to the point where you start calling Holly Pumpkin, I can't tell because we cut the next scene. But I think he takes fully credit for calling her pumpkin. Yes. And the part that bothers me and the part that I don't understand about British and American is there is just no way that Jeff would be lying on that sofa with his head in her lap unless they're sleeping together in, in my mind. I, not necessarily in that moment, but that, that, is, that is way over the comfort level of someone that you just hang out with a lot from work. And that's the part that, that, but but at that point, Jeff is really taking advantage of that situation in, in a way that definitely is an asshole. (laughs) Like that's, uh, I, I agree. He's an asshole. I just, I think there is, there was a moment there where he could have stepped back from the brink on that when she found the note. I I don't think he did. I think he, I I think he laid into it and goes, okay, she seemed to like the pumpkin bet. Let's go. I, I, I don't think that that's something that they would not make explicit in a show like this. I don't think there's any reason for them to be hiding it. I mean, it's... I, I, I agree. It's, it's a, such a, an a family odd... show or whatever. You don't necessarily need to even show them in bed together. What point is we have not seen them kiss or, you know... Right. You would, you would think there would be a moment that you would show somewhere between the one thing and the other if that was the case i do not think that is the case i think what you're seeing on screen is what you get and i i also think i i mean in a way holly is holly obviously does have a crush on him so she wouldn't be necessarily averse to you know a suggestion from him but I don't think the note is either here or there in that. I'm not sure that calling her pumpkin is what it takes or doesn't take to get her knickers off. Well, it's also that the, you know, you, I forgot what the note said, but you know, you're a bright light in my life and all that. I mean, it was, it was a very, um, it was a very not, Hey, I'm sorry. I used your time machine without permission. Note. It was, it was definitely intended by the original author in it for a different purpose and jeff is yes. yeah which just makes it kind of weird and creepy rather than you know attractive i think oh yeah and that's yeah. the sense i got from holly's reaction and yet she's in he's in her lap in the next in the next scene so it, yeah it's just mm, mm, I, they're just throwing well but she's not, so she's not throwing him out because she because he's written right. a weird note i think that she would have been he he would have been in her lap in the next scene pretty much anyway once you know once he produced the flowers that that kind of thawed out whatever that's really thawed to me that's really thawed that that's my well point. it is and that's that, that what is... annoys me about it because it because there's because there's no sense in which he has really shown any remorse for the kind of the the kind of violation of of the the trust that she's put in him that occurred as a result of him essentially breaking into her flat and stealing her time machine certainly stealing her watch so yeah i i think she is far 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 too forgiving oh yeah 
I think yeah. what we do what we do have is that that kind of comfortable closeness in their relationship may be further on than we have previously seen because obviously at the beginning of the last episode episode six death minister we have that allusion to the fact that they have been doing a lot of traveling back in time and so they obviously spent a lot of time in the flat in each other's in each other's company you know more time than time has passed because they've been travel time traveling as well and so didn't he say something about though was it in this episode well i've i did manage to solve five cases or something there, there was a specific number he said I, I managed to solve five cases using the time machine or words to that effect which would imply i missed that just the five we've seen well it, but i don't know but maybe, you're right know, maybe, another, maybe it's another one out of order then but it, but i my my reading on the sequence that we we saw it was that um you know we we'd seen them much, much further down the line of working together, using the time machine, going back in in time, and keeping this joint secret, and that, and there there is that kind of familiarity. And then we'd seen this violation of trust. So, what the what the flowers bring us to is more a kind of reversion to that status quo ante than it is to a new kind of intimacy, I guess. And and there. Actually, they couldn't be out of order because he had to have violated it. She mentioned that in yeah. this episode. That's yeah. what he Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. It, it has to be, the, these episodes definitely follow quite closely one onto yeah. the other. So, yeah, they, they can't be out of order. So let me let me just say that I still don't understand Holly. I mean, I don't understand Holly's fascination with Jeff. But with regards to what she uses the time machine for, I don't understand Holly. But let me tell you how you do this. Okay, this does not take a lot of time to work out. Uh, let's when when does the lottery? What day is the week as the lottery numbers come out? You know, in ninety seven, it was probably still only on a Saturday. Okay, so <laughs> this was a Saturday, but we'll we'll just we'll just use it. All right, so the lottery comes out numbers come out in the evening on Saturday. So what you do is on Friday, Jeff checks into a hotel. He takes the day off from work, the weekend off from work. He checks into a hotel and he stays. He tells Holly where he is and then he stays in that hotel. Holly continues about her life normally. Lottery numbers come out on Saturday night. She gets the lottery numbers. She goes back in time. She goes to Jeff's hotel room. She hands him the numbers. She leaves and she goes back to the time machine and she returns to the present. Jeff buys the lottery ticket, gets the money, and does not see Holly until after she returns from the past. There is no, you can't, well, we didn't already do this because you don't know, because you've been incommunicado for the period of time longer than, right? it could work. And I'm certainly not saying that they're, that the writer couldn't work their way out of it and have the hotel blow up or, any number of things of the entire lottery system go down long enough in that part of town that he couldn't buy the ticket. You could still break that violation, but at the very least, you avoid the first and most obvious one that Holly says, I haven't seen you today. You didn't give me the lottery numbers. Ergo, this does not work. You have to avoid that, but it's not that difficult to do. So I would try that. You get a lot of lotteries well, coming even... up in the future. I, I think I think it's even simpler than you suggest because in a way you're still you're still opening up as you say the possibilities that there will be things that prevent Holly from getting to the hotel, but the the point is it did it did not happen like that. But what you would do, and I guess this may be as a result of me kind of having uh, seen too many other kind of time travel time travel examples, but what you would do would be you'd say well clearly. Holly hasn't been given the numbers for this week's lottery and hasn't therefore bought a ticket and hasn't therefore won it. But let's make a decision now that we're going to do this next week because then you can, you know, that that future, as we had established in episode one, has not been determined. So then you can you can have Jeff turning up from the future, giving her the numbers and having her win it. 
well, that's I, fine. That's I guess my point, my system would do that. That's exactly what it would do. Well, I do. You I would... think that the, 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 but the simple point is to say, let's, yeah, let's, let's set it up as a future thing. The, 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 the plan one is not just me do it on the fly. Most closely was, was um, one of my favorite uh, pieces of science fiction. When you have Arthur Dent and Ford Prefect in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy stranded on prehistoric Earth with no, apparently no way of escaping. And they are basically just sitting down to drown their sorrows rather than planning how they're going to get off the planet. And then this rescue ship starts to appear and then di- and then stops appearing and then starts appearing. It get, keeps kind of shimmering mat- into materialization and then not. And Ford works out it's that every time they pick up the bottle to say, oh, let's have another drink. That means the ship disappears because they're just going to sit there and get drunk. And every time they put it, put the bottle down and say, let's work it out, that's when the ship becomes more solid because they're they're going to get a solution to it. So it seems like they could influence the future past by making a firm resolution about what they're going to do, i.e. travel back in time with the lottery numbers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, so I will just go out and say, and I did not say, I probably enjoyed this episode the most of the bunch to date, despite Jeff's behavior, because it does have that, that every turn he goes to, he gets thrown. And I got to say, just, just briefly, I'm not putting it at the same level, but it was like, I think he might have, or was might have learned a little bit from Moffat on this because he's he's beginning to work out the 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 weirdities of the of the time travel. I'm not sure how how Horowitz could learn from Moffat without time travel because I'm not aware yeah. that Moffat's written any time travel at this point. Well, but Moffat does write Moffat does write farce, which is all about laying the pieces together in such a way that they fail spectacularly along the way. Does that make sense? I mean, that, that's been a hallmark of his work. I think that's why some of his time travel stuff works so well. It's because he puts all the pieces there and they fall like dominoes in exactly the right time and place, and, and which is really his strong suit. But I, I got a little bit of a, a vibe of that on this one while I was watching. But it raises I, I, questions. Yeah. I mean, I, Lots I, of I, questions. I'd need to look up at um, Moffat's kind of timeline to work out what he's written at this point to see if Horowitz could actually be influenced without a time machine. But I totally agree with you. There is a there is a way in which the kind of structure of farce is all about everything being set up to come out in a certain way, and that. When you're dealing with deterministic time travel and you're following a timeline that loops back on itself, a personal timeline that loops back into the past, so you're you're seeing a number of things happening twice, then it has to fall out that way. So, yeah, yeah. again, I mean, like we were saying when we started this show, there's a sense in which all kind of cop shows or, or crime crime shows are time time travel structured in a sense <laughs> one of the one of the things about this which and I, I would argue in a way i think this is an experiment i'm not sure i i agree with you that it isn't is that very it does, poorly controlled one how about that it does stick it certainly isn't a isn't highly scientific but it does stick with the kind of deterministic time the deterministic universe that we have seen holds throughout all of the episodes up to this point, mm-hmm. because they haven't broken it yet. Ma'am. Yeah, no, nothing that nothing that happens when Jeff goes back in time contradicts what has then already happened in the original past up to that point. Goodness me, verbs and time travel are difficult, <laughs> but but but. Uh, there is a kind of, there's an interesting thing. There is something new we learn, which I'll come back to, but there is an interesting thing in this, which is about the way in which that determinism is almost 
alluded to as if it were a a potentially sentient force. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. I, I, I admit I don't like that. But I have up I well I'll go right where I was gonna go then. So mm-hmm. we have the question is whether or not information can travel in time. Because really that's the information that and and actionable information can go back. Well, information ex- does travel in time. It it does travel in time. That's right. So you they they travel and they have memories. They have memories and they bring information, but they act like it can't because when they go back, of course, tickets and things get erased and and whatnot. But their memories don't get erased. So you would think that their me- information can affect that. But but here's where I'm getting to in this particular one. It works. It works. This experiment doesn't work as well as he wanted it to, but he won some money. Yes. He did, in fact, so, go yes. back in time with lottery numbers and give them to to Nikki, and it worked. So my next question is, is it is it that sentient time force that has somehow managed to juggle it so that the amount of money lost on the time machine equates to roughly the amount of money that was made in the experiment? Is it some sort of entropy holding that well, down? Or is it just... Well, it, well it's interesting that you, that you consider that to be entropy because, I mean, that's, that's something like entropy. Saying. We, we, we're learning something new in this episode, which is that regardless of the fact that he only gets four numbers rather than six, that's nothing to do with whether the information can travel back through time because even getting the four numbers has only happened as a result of traveling back through time. But the, and but it so, did get scrambled. The info did get scrambled. It did get scrambled, but, but, the, but the, the proof of concept is that that is possible and that is, if you like, the new thing that we have learned because up to this point, it was not clear that that would be possible. And there is a, there is a difference there, I think, between what happens with the kind of numbers getting turned upside down and everything else that happens up to that point, which is, I think, arguable in the sense of Holly says something like, you know, he, she, he, she's not talking about the machine, she's talking about time. Mm-hmm. As if, you know, time with capital T, as if it were, you know, a kind of all-powerful being. But actually, we we talk about forces or powers for things that, you know, we personify them, but, but they are not sentient. You know, you think... Right about the forces of nature, like the tide washing over the beach and wiping out all of the footprints and, you know, height, all of that information disappears and is is cleaned away. And people people have always, you know, the, we, the kind of pagan gods are all connected with forces like, you know, the, having gods of thunder or gods of the sea or whatever. Uh, you know, having the the idea that you easily slip into thinking about time as being a godlike thing is easy enough. But essentially, all it's saying is it's a force like the force of gravity. You know, it's it's thwarting Jeff from being able to use from from, from being able to go back and and give Holly have an interaction with Holly that Holly does not remember. In the same way, the force of gravity is thwarting him from being able to fly. You know, it's just these things are not possible. Whereas I'm... turning the numbers upside down, that's a, that's the act of a trickster. Yeah, kind of, yeah. There's, there's that, that and me, he does it. If that's deliberate, rather than just a, a Nicky cock-up, if that is all part of the same force of time thing, that to me is the strongest argument for saying, yeah, there is some kind of mischief and that and, that implies and that, sentience. That's part of my question, because of the amount that he wins. I it's like I'm if somebody was doing that, if time was doing that, did they flipping a well? You're going to lose a little bit more. House bet wins. The house always wins. It won fourteen pounds. Yeah. In this, of course, what it would do to me is go. I'm going to keep trying because <laughs> that that came close. If I'd just drawn a line under it, said these numbers are this, or I'd written my twos right, uh, you know, I I would have, I don't know. I do have the note here that says Holly anthropomorphizes time too much. 
She does. She did it in the very yeah. first episode. Yeah. Time won't let you. Time won't let you. At like time as a person, and and she did repeat it in this episode. And but I, but I don't think we've had conclusive proofs that that is the case at this point. I don't think so I either. Think there, are, there are different interpretations. I would keep trying. I, I would still keep I, trying. I can't that, imagine that's my Jeff point. won't keep trying. I, what I can't imagine is why Holly doesn't keep trying. I mean, even if it's not to self, even if it's not to to make money for herself, if it's for some other reason, you know, you you gather data, you rejigger your experiment, and then you try again, which is exactly what you should do after this lottery failure. Is like you try again and see what happens. See all the things that caused problems along the way here. Plan for it and see what happens. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But if it does work, then you've learned something new and you've potentially made yourself rich. <laughs> well, hang on. The, I, the mean, I, thing... I, I, I agree. I think that she should be more rigorous in her approach to determining whether information can travel in this direction through time. But Also more rigorous in have... her choice of boyfriends. Well, undoubtedly. But, yeah. but I, I, I'm not... I, I, had a, I had a moment of disquiet around the... Holly's initial reaction was when Jeff suggested let's play the philosophy was it won't work. Whereas I was kind of like, yeah, also it's basically fraudulent. You're, you're, you know, cheating people of their share of the winnings. And to be fair, she no, does no, say no. it's cheating, but they, they, she quickly goes along with it because Jeff has that specious, well, in an ideal world, you get lot lottery funding anyway. I don't know. I'd have to give a whole lot more thought about the notion of it being cheating. It depends on it's who you're cheating. cheating. Holly, is, Holly is thinking about cheating time, I think. Well, perhaps, but, it, but it's, not, it's not like you're not taking anything from anyone else, because you are. But you're cheating in an, in an impossible way, if you want to call it cheating. I mean, if somebody can tell you, <clears throat> if not the impossible. lottery is fixed, if the lottery is fixed and therefore the numbers can be known beforehand, then you are cheating. But you, but the lottery is not fixed. It is, I'll go that it's, it's definitely, if not borderline, then definitely unethical. It's certainly not illegal. Well, yeah, yes, but I and, mean, and arguably, if it not worked. Laws framed to prevent time travel. And arguably, if it worked, then it obviously happened anyway. So therefore, it's predetermined. So it meant to be. Um, <laughs> You're I as mean, bad I, as I think I, I think I could, I think I could definitely spend a little bit more time and effort trying to get past the lottery uh, aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. That that. So this also raises. Holly's lack of rigor also raises another question that's that's brought up in this episode. Um, does she actually know how this thing works? Because when she's repairing it at the beginning with her dad's rather amusing handwritten diagrams and and diary or whatever it is, I for the first time got the feeling that Holly is really more of a mechanic and not an expert on this. Well, I think, but I think that is that's always been the case. The the thing has always been presented as I don't really know why. I mean, it it kind of un, it undercuts her character a bit, but it's always been presented as her dad's machine, and she has throughout always been trying to complete it. I don't know in what sense it needs to be completed, completed yeah. because it already seems to work. But maybe it's controlling it, or I I I don't know, but it. It's always felt like he was the driving force behind it, and she is just trying to follow in his footsteps. To I've always gotten that maybe he, second he guess what was, he would have done next. I, I I definitely believe that he is the one that the, in, the the inspired genius that created this time machine. But I've always gotten the feeling that Holly, whereas not not inspired at that level. I'd always got the impression that she has studied it to the point and understand gone to school and got her degrees and, and worked with her dad and worked through the notes that she understands the operation of the machine and how it's built and what it does. Huh. And Ouch. in this episode, I kind of got the feeling that she's like me trying to fix an old television. It's like, all right, I think you can go in here and exchange the tubes. Uh, or tube. Yes, there you go. 
and <clears throat> take it down to the store, check the tubes, bring them back, put the new ones in, eh, kind of thing. That probably doesn't resonate with anybody under the age of uh, 50 or 60, but uh, yeah, that's what you used to do when your TVs didn't work. But you didn't have to understand the TV to put all the parts back together. You'd have to be able to build one. But, you know, you can also be good enough to to know everything about the electronics and still not be the guy that designed it. And that's kind of what I thought Holly was. She didn't build it. She understands it. Something about the way this that opening scene played made me think, wait a minute, Holly could not rebuild this machine from the ground up if if it went. No, I'm not sure she could. I see, I would hope that she had all the paperwork and diagrams and stuff and had and had the rigor to do that while she's been studying this machine. But maybe not. That worries me a bit. Well, there, no, I think, <laughs> that worries for me about I, the future uh, of of this show. But uh, it, you're you're worried it might not go beyond this series. Well, you know, they might, they might cancel try it. it. Pretending like we don't know what is going to happen in the future here, and I don't know what happens in the last episode. All I do know the title of the last episode. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean. It, there is a there is a fundamental weakness in the the time machine in that Holly couldn't build one, or at least that's how I now feel that Holly couldn't build a new one if this one was destroyed by Jeff or any of them, but probably by Jeff, and and that not just because I don't have the money. I mean that's why she couldn't build it. I don't have the money. I get that, but if if she had the money, if somebody came along and said, "All right, here's seven hundred billion dollars. Build me a new one." I would hope that she could go to the notes and understand what it meant and build one. Uh, but, but I, well, I'm I, not, I mean, I'm not sure it'd be nice if she could, but I think the point is you probably got to be some kind of borderline genius to be able to do the repairs that she can do. And so, I mean, most people wouldn't be anywhere close to being able to do that, but she's not the person who created it in the first place. And so even if she right. thought she might be able to put together a machine from scratch, She'd never done it. And how would you know if you'd never done it, whether you could do it? Really? Um, I, I, I'm, you know, it's hard to draw a good analogy uh, on that. It's just that my, my impression of what her skill set or her understanding of the time machine was knocked down by that scene. It's like, okay, she's not as versed as I initially thought, which may be explaining why she's, quote unquote experimenting because she does not actually know the full limits or the function of the machine and that so that could be quote unquote what but that, her experiments but yeah, but that's, are that's that's true and that's fair and i think that's understandable in the sense that the the, the theoretical physics are potentially not as important now you've got a working time machine here we're talking about yeah the the kind of actual engineering understanding things like tolerances or whatever if you want an analogy, I mean, I, I live in a house. I understand how my house is built, and I can rewire bits of it, and I can probably learn to replumb bits of it. And I dare say, if I studied the theory hard enough, I could work out exactly how every element of a house was built. But that doesn't mean that the first time I tried to build a house, it would stay up. You know, it's like there are there are elements of it that you that you do learn by doing. And no one has ever kind of traveled in time before. So working out how that actually happens right. is, you know, she's the only person now that her dad isn't around. Well, apart from Jeff now, who has any, and, and any insights at all into that. Maybe Jeff's dad and, and maybe the dead minister and uh, anyone that worked at that. No, they, no, no, they have no, this point is about experience of it. They, they oh, may experience have some yeah. Yeah. knowledge well, of fraud, but, yeah. but again, that's just that's just the theory. The the, the point about this is that un understanding, you know, what what the kind of theoretical aspects of it are, is not the same as actually trying it out, interacting with the real thing, testing what the real life tolerances are, seeing what the actual limits and constraints are when you physically attempt to travel through time. Now, let me ask this question, coming kind of back to the, the, the trickster. Let's say that 
Jeff goes to his anti-aggression training or whatever it was, and it did in fact get canceled for some reason. So he goes into the office and, and I'm going to stretch here, but he's he's got something important that he needs to tell Holly. Not about winning the lottery, not about uh, maybe he forgot to turn the gas off in her apartment, it's going to blow up, or something that he needs to, that he, he really needs to tell Holly. Really important that he's got to tell her. He, he goes into the office to tell her, Grissom sees him, hijacks him on the case. Would it have played out the same way with information that was not from the future. Would the would the fax machine be out of paper? Would the the <laughs> phone lines get blown up when the gold deposit? Would the old lady have gotten to the telephone before Jeff? Would Nikki have forgotten to charge its battery? Would all of those things happen anyway to prevent him? Because it was it was not that time was trying to prevent him from giving her the information. It was that the circumstances were just really unfavorable for him trying to talk to Holly that day. And I, I can't make up my mind. It's like, I mean, I, I, I think because, because what we what they're trying to say presents with up to this point is this deterministic universe. So that is what it is. So the fact that he is trying to contact Holly for this reason that is connected with him traveling back in time means that he finds out the fax machine is out of paper, that the lady is in the phone box or whatever, and he might not have found those things out otherwise because he wouldn't have had a reason to do so. But that would not have meant that those things were not the case. And the reason for it isn't because Holly doesn't remember Jeff being there. It's because that was always the way it was. It's like saying, um, oh my God, what were the chances of me getting five heads in a row when I flip a coin but if I've just flipped a coin and I've gone oh heads heads tails heads tails and I go well hang on a minute the chances of me getting heads heads tails heads tails is just as remote as me as the chance of me flipping a head three times in a row I mean, it doesn't matter what the sequence is that's still pretty unusual so you go wow that's incredible that I managed to beat the odds to get that sequence well no it's not that's just that's just what happened that was always going to happen because that's the way the universe is. But of course, Holly is anthropomorphizing time and saying yes, that it's that could just, that could And that's just the be, way it is presented to be, us in the show. Well, no, because I think that could be that could be a quirk of Holly's kind of the way she thinks about it rather than any real knowledge she has. But because do you really think that when they wrote this show that that they thought that there was going to be people sitting there trying to work out the logic of the time travel in this way? Or do you just think that I am presenting to you, Holly is telling you time won't let you do it, and now we are going to watch time not letting you do it, as, as opposed to the deeper philosophical argument that only came about because they could not foresee the future of podcasts. And so <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, the the easy thing for me to say would be, of course, they didn't expect people to be pouring over the details of this episode, or they wouldn't have got <laughs> so many of the of the kind of stupid, easy to correct things wrong. And I have a, a fresh list of them arising from this episode that I will go through before we, you know, finish finish recording okay. this. But 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 I but I think that the question about the time travel thing is slightly bigger and i will give credit for the fact that at least for the first seven episodes they have been consistent about yeah. the way that time travel works and they have not presented anything that breaks it they have shown things where you go oh that's surprising or that's unusual or that's a coincidence but then in a way this comes back to the kind of metatextual aspects of that that this is fictional and fiction is about the unusual or the surprising or the interesting and so you've got to determine whether they're playing by the rules doing that stuff with the time travel and i think we maybe need to wait for next week's episode before we kind of right. make a final call on that okay let me let me give let me give you two things that I particularly appreciated in this episode. One's just a directorial setup thing. I mean it, obviously it was in the script, but i I 
I think it, it played beautifully. And that was when Jeff finally manages to call Holly, who, what, she has a car phone? But when <laughs> when he calls her on the car phone and the car phone is ringing and they cut back to that shot of the car approaching a tunnel, that was beautifully done. That was that was beautiful. The hammer fell at that exact moment because it happens before she gets cut off. But we all knew, my wife and I, we're watching it, and, and I just could hear the sound that came from my wife the second she heard, <laughs> saw the tunnel. It's like, oh, because <laughs> we all knew it was coming, and that was that was done well. That was just a, a nicely presented piece. The other thing that I particularly liked, and again, it kind of may have to do with the direction. In the scene where it is revealed that he got four numbers instead of six numbers, okay, Holly's first reaction, if you're watching her face, is like, there's a little bit of, but then, then there is this, her curiosity peaks up, right? Slade is like in denial. How can that be? I gave you the numbers. They're, they're the right numbers. And I think Holly is looking at this very interested and she is, you can see her wheels turning. She's trying to figure this out. How is that possible? How is it possible that he did win? And how is it possible that he won with the wrong numbers or that the numbers were wrong? And of course, when we're explained to it, we're showing the numbers upside down and it, it makes sense. But she's actually, for the first time, really showing what looks to be genuine curiosity about the phenomena at that moment. Because uh -huh. as you say, this this is kind of the act of a trickster time. This is this is actually her finally getting a new piece of the puzzle. She's getting it. She sees she's getting a new piece of the puzzle and she's trying to turn it over in her head. Like what what? What could that possibly be? And I and I did like that because Holly has shown in it a remarkable lack of curiosity about the the weirdness of time travel throughout the series, and uh, that good. So, given that, unless you have anything else, hit me with your list. I, well, I still have one other thing that I okay. probably I don't know whether it undermines what I've just said about the consistency of time travel as it has been dealt with in these seven episodes, which is. I did have a query about this idea that you can't take a slip of paper back in time. Actually, I don't think the the the, I don't see why the uh, lottery thing was the only new thing in this episode because I don't think we've seen that before. And I was wondering whether we had seen anything that suggested to the contrary that you you can't napkin. Oh, oh yes, oh yes. So we definitely have seen something to the contrary. But I know we discussed the question of whether the camera that Holly produced in uh, the, one of the episodes where she was doing some surveillance had come from the future or was already there in the past. I also she left know it in her car, was, it would have been fine. If it was in the car, it was in the past. But then I wondered, well, what about your car keys? If I mean, if you've got your car keys in your pocket, your car keys are imprinted with information. You can't be picky about the way this works. It it can't just be pen on paper is a problem. It has, I guess, unless the information already existed. Further H hence, back my in the question park, about tra information traveling back in time. Like, yeah, because your car your car keys were still the same more than ten hours ago, but the piece of paper is changed by Jeff writing on it. Now, I I Crikey. thought for sure. I thought for sure, and also I, I should throw this in the plus column. I thought for sure that Jeff has those lottery numbers memorized. I thought for sure that sequence where Morris was reciting his damn lottery numbers. Ah, this is my birthday. And this and this. I thought for sure that was going to scramble him in Jeff's head. <laughs> I right? did that think he was going to mess I, it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean. I wasn't thinking that at the time, but I was thinking that Jeff would have misremembered the numbers because I couldn't remember the numbers in order to check what he was doing and if i can't remember the numbers then i'd be surprised jeff did i but they... i memorized them when jeff read them out because as soon as yeah, we well, in the beginning in the thing i'm like i i got that and they were easy to remember numbers right a12 yeah yeah, yeah. 2261 but and and i just like he did i'm like as i watched the episode because i was waiting for them to transmute in some way yes yes and I was and I thought that's... that. And I appreciated the fact that I totally did not predict the numbers being upside down. 
it was a it was a nice twist because you it was you can see it works and yet the you, you know there was no need to foreshadow it in that sense but right. when it happens you're like oh yeah and a lot of the time you know in this in in this show things have been kind of signaled or whatever so the 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 twists can be quite satisfying but they're not necessarily totally surprising that one was okay, it, it, it was foreshadowed slightly go on because jeff wrote those numbers more than once in this episode every time he did he wrote his twos sloppily like z's good point yeah yeah so i mean they they showed us yeah that's jeff's handwriting over and over again and i thought okay not until after I, 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 not until after the I really, fact i will I don't think you can fault the writing or the direction in respect of it lays it out there for you in this show. Yeah. It always gives you more than one chance to to spot these things. So fair play, fair play on that. The the uh, the other little thing I, I'd say because you you mentioned Holly's car phone, and uh-huh. I was wondering whether that because we've talked about the kind of issues around not having mobiles. We were talking about it in the last episode in in Death Minister yeah. because Holly needed to track down Jeff, and he didn't have a mobile phone. And nowadays, that you know, that's what you would do. But Holly does have a a car phone. But actually, given that it was always Jeff that needed to be tracked down, that probably wouldn't ever have made a difference, I guess, unless she needed somewhere to call from. Yeah, I don't know. I, no, it, it, I just think I have to. I have to rewatch all the previous episodes to see whether that's made a difference. But it's like suddenly, you know, episode seven, we discover mobile phones exist in this universe. Think, think and, how much money she could spend on her time machine if she didn't spend on a mobile phone or on a car phone. Well, that's yeah, that's certainly very true. And the point is made because I mean, obviously, we mentioned or we discussed this before that we. You know, mobile phones did exist in 1997 and we probably both knew people who had them. But the point was they weren't ubiquitous like they are now. And there's a comment in this where, you know, he says, I haven't got a fax or a jacuzzi either. Uh, you know, mobile phones are seen as being an unusual uh, and an extravagant. Mm-hmm. But I did appreciate faxes being mentioned and not only faxes being mentioned, but a fax actually appearing in the episode because it was a nice little trip down memory lane to a time what when about leaving the money and to mobile use phones actually did overlap when 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 i'd, I'd almost actually leaving it. money to to uh to use the fax machine i knew i knew companies that did that people wanted to use the fax machine at the office you had to leave i forgot how much well but same for the telephone yeah you, you know well, you people use the telephones at the office all the time and and didn't tell anybody that they were making a personal call, but but the fax machine, of course, leaves a record, which also I wanted to point out, I also thought what was going to happen in this episode is that when they went back, there was a winner, and that winner was the woman who worked at the at the construction company because she saw the printout of the fax buffer that he sent. <laughs> yes. Right? Because oh, yeah. it would be yes. in there. You could reprint it and go, what did, what did, he, what did the cop? He's a cop. I'm involved in a crime. Maybe I should read what he sent on the fax machine. It says, Holly, buy these lottery tickets tonight. Quickly. It's urgent. Jeff, like, hmm, think I'm going to buy those lottery ticket numbers. And then, but that didn't happen either. So another red herring for me. But I, I did think that. <laughs> I did think that was going to well, happen. It should, it should have been, although, I mean, I, we're probably paying a lot more attention to the fax machine given its novelty <laughs> to us, then, you know, it would have been relatively commonplace in 1997. Yeah. I'll I'll come to my list then, which you'll probably be unsurprised, is all concerning police procedure as usual. Oh, yeah. My okay. first, well, because that always seems to be the case in this one. My first point about this is Grisham knows that a master criminal is going to attempt to make off with a large haul of gold. Yep. So she's got a solid tip off on this. She knows it's going to happen. So, and and she's given a kind of cast iron personal assurance 
to the guy in the bank who he, who she has now told she is running this risk with that has, his, as he says, the you know the gold and the safety of his staff, and he does get plonked on the head. So he was right to be, and they they had guns, so skeptical, and they had guns. Yeah. So she says there's no danger when she knows this gunman coming in. So if you were a DCI in that position, what kind of preparations would you make in anticipation of this guy attempting this this robbery? Replace all the if employees me, with police officers, for, for example, or have have armed res- armed response on hand. I don't. I mean, yep. I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not a kind of tactical police expert, but I still think that I wouldn't have just put three guys in a room across the street. Yep, I don't know. Yeah, because it's useless. It was it was useless to the fact. And she's it's it's like, and yeah, she's mad at she's mad it, at Jeff. It's like no, Jeff only managed to even see the people because he wasn't at the stakeout. Well, he I mean, he's obviously completely in the wrong, but what the hell difference would it have made if Jeff was in that room with right. the others? And even if they had seen the guys coming in, what exactly would they have done? It's not like they had reinforcements it, and backup on call. It, and is Jeff in the wrong? How the, yeah, why can't, the wrong. He go out for, why can't he go out to make a phone call? Grissom grabs him on his day out of the office and forces him on the thing. And he may have had stuff he needed to do that day. And they've already got two guys in the room. Surely they have to be able to take a break, go get food, go to the bathroom. That's why you've got three guys. He's got two covered. He needs to make a phone call. He's not in the wrong. He he told them he covered. It's like, I've just got to go make this phone call. It's like, it should be I kind of think he is in the wrong. It's not like it's his day off, isn't it? He's he's supposed to be at work, and she's reassigned him from going on training to do this. But I, I mean, I kind of think that is essentially neither here nor there because he's, if he's in the wrong, he's not very much in the wrong. Whereas she is so completely in the wrong. Oh yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, she literally has no one inside the bank. What is that about? What is that about? Yeah, it, I, it, it, and we're just we're just supposed to kind of. Not well, even if this had been a fashion show, they'd have had cops everywhere, right? Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Because we 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 have, yeah, we have seen that elsewhere. It's it it's not consistent. That's because I mean, I, Diana wears those clothes, so that's why that's important. But three million pounds of gold, um, yeah, you know, <laughs> it yeah, it's bad. It's bad. There's no doubt. It's a bad plan. Grissom deserves to lose her job for this. That is that well, is absolutely she, true. Yeah, she certainly should carry that. I did think when Jeff, when she asked Jeff where he was, and he didn't answer and just said it's personal. That yeah, she probably ought to have fired him as well. But yeah, the other the other kind of big procedural weirdness in this, I suppose, not procedural weirdness. It's a kind of it really seemed just a very implausible behaviour was related to this because it's to do with the fact that Grisham's screwed up in such a monumental way. But the commissioner is coming to see Grisham. That's backwards. Yeah. It's backwards for, I mean, that's probably the biggest thing. I I can't quite get over the fact that I think we've established she's a DCI. And so, so, yeah. Why is the commissioner talking to her about this? It's, I mean, I, can't work out how many ranks above that is. You've definitely got super chief, super ADC. There's, you know, there's a long way to go before you get to the commissioner. But then also, like you say, it, it is the wrong way around. Why is the commissioner taking time out of his? I mean, he's the. I guess the fact is, the commissioner incidentally must establish that they're in London because the Met has a commissioner. Other forces have chief constables, right? Could well, be not in this country because this, this is a British thing. But, <laughs> but I, I, I think I'm correct in that. Um, so, so he, but, but he's the commissioner for the entire Metropolitan Police, the biggest police force in the UK. You know, with not just responsibility for day-to-day policing across the whole of Greater London, but also terrorism in the UK, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And yet, he has ta- taking time out of his schedule to travel to Grisham's office and then sit around 
with her kind of going, well, you know, I don't really want to fire you, but, and it would be different if this, it's like, what, what is going on here? This is just, this is just insane. And it's one of those things where you think, and there's no need for this because it didn't have to be the commissioner. You just say, you know, that she's been summoned to see the chief superintendent or whatever. And yeah. So yeah, yeah very odd, very odd. But, uh, there we go. Not not that on unusual set. for this show. Right. But uh, I have to get these things out of my system. How would Jeff have found them if he hadn't known they were in Grissom's office? So, yeah. That is exactly the point, isn't it? It's, it's the, yeah. the reason that they are there is for the convenience of, yes, the production, but, yeah, more importantly, for the kind of shortening of the plot. So it's it's to neaten the structure of the writing and they don't think these things matter. So, well, the other why, thing, and you know, it's why a minor, to change it? But if the super, wasn't it at seven thirty? Yeah. Was was the point of that? Was it at seven thirty p.m., which was the same time the lottery was being drawn? Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know how how pathetic is it that not only did the commissioner go to her office, he did it on his time off. Yeah, it could be home. But instead, I'm putzing around here at 7.30 at night. Well, I'd like, that makes no sense either. He has nine to five office hours, but probably 10 to four, plus aides to do the work. I mean, the higher up you go, the less often you have to be in the office. But I don't know. I don't have anything else on this. No, okay, I'm I'm done. I've uh, got that <laughs> off my chest. I'm done. Fair enough. Well, there's only one more chance for the police procedure to be wrong. So that will be in the next episode. Right, you know, the mm, goodbye. The Broken Crystal, episode eight. The Jeff series. Slade and the Broken Crystal. No. Yes, Jeff Slade and the Broken Broken Over His Head by Holly. I hope that that's that's what I'm. No, here's my prediction. Again, based on nothing other than surely Holly's father has to show up in this. Oh gosh, surely. Or, or at least some clue, or uh, a a a, a breadcrumb, or something to lead her. I don't know about showing her, but I think, yes, I think it has to resolve or advance the, you know, that the that missing story. Dad, line, yeah, what what has what has become of him? Yeah. Well, Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure as always. Well, listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash fusionpatrol or patreon.com slash fusionpatrol. For our monthly Patreon subscribers, we're currently running a special series on Babylon 5. Come join the conversation in the comments section of this episode at fusionpatrol.com. You'll also find there over a decade of past episodes. You can find some of our other works at soundcloud.com slash fusion patrol. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. For four years, our coverage has endured the wilderness of space. And now, we near the end of one of our journeys. The Galactica has, at last, found Earth. Next time... We begin our look at Battlestar Galactica Season 2, a.k.a. Galactica 1980, with the three-part pilot movie, Galactica Discovers Earth. Come join the conversation on Fusion Patrol.